Hello and welcome to the It's About the Money podcast. My name is EJ Fagan and today I am joined by Dominic Lanza. Hello EJ, how are you doing on this beautiful in New York evening? Not sure how it is in Texas evening. It's always beautiful in Texas until May 15th. <laughs> um, and it's horrible. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's uh, it's going pretty well. I, uh, I I've been enjoying uh, a little bit of baseball this week. This has been kind of a bit of a busy week for me, so I haven't seen seen a whole lot. But I did catch the last couple innings of the Orioles game. Um, you know, with the with the big comeback, uh, so that was a lot of fun. It's been a pretty good week. Yankee is going for the sweep tonight. The game should actually. Might have actually started already. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm it's seven oh nine p.m. Luis Severino right now. I've got uh, the the television on mute. He's uh he's uh warming up. The scattering report says flamethrower, secondary pitch watch, and it's about the chase. So none of that is particularly encouraging. Uh, but uh, we got some great stuff to talk about. We do have some bad news to talk about though. Uh, that bad news is uh is uh our friend uh, James Caprielian. Uh, today it was, or yesterday I think it was announced that uh, Capriellian would have Tommy John surgery. Capriellian previously missed uh, all of the 2016 season. He was drafted in 2015 uh, with an elbow injury that uh, was described as, I think, like just elbow inflammation or something like that. Uh, he looked really good in the Arizona Fall League. He pitched a few innings toward the end of the year, looked pretty good in spring, and now he's having Tommy John surgery. So, Dominic, uh, I've, I've, the, the, the meme I've been seeing on Twitter a lot and, and in our comment sections uh, has been that the Yankees um, should have ripped off the Band-Aid a year ago and, and Capriellian should be recovering from Tommy John surgery right now, not just undergoing it today. Uh, do you think that's valid? It's kind of tough to say because I think I'm going to be kind of alone in saying no but even in saying no, I don't feel too good about it because, you know, he's getting Tommy John surgery and now there's a very real chance we won't see him pitch for the Yankees until twenty nine late twenty nineteen at the earliest. Um I mean he might not pitch for, for the the Tampa Yankees until almost twenty nineteen. Yeah, I at the basic timetable is gonna be fourteen to sixteen months, so he'll be probably pitching in the minors last year if everything goes well, knock on wood sometime in, I don't know, July of next year. But this has been the Yankees' kind of modus operandi going with rehab over Tommy John surgery, if possible. And I'll direct the attention of of the jury to 2015 when they reported that Masahiro Tanaka had a partially torn UCL. He has not had surgery. And that year, Dan Camarena and Ian Clarkin both sat out, uh, in Camarena's case, the entire year, and in Ian Clarkin's case, almost the entire year, with similarly ill-defined elbow issues. I think one was a flexor strain and one was inflammation. They both sat most of 2015, didn't have surgery, and then came back last year and pitched full effective seasons, and they're both looking to be healthy again this year. So, I mean, this is what the Yankees have been doing. They've been aggressive with rehab, or I don't know if you want to say aggressive in avoiding Tommy John surgery, and it kind of sort of worked with those three. So with that kind of recent track record, I I think I'd err towards trusting them and saying they saw something that made them believe Caprielian didn't need it last year. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that they went to a bunch of doctors and the doctors told Caprielian and the Yankees, like, look, you got a couple of choices. You can, you know, there's a probability on this side, there's a probability on that side. And, you know, the probability was probably that, you know, he, he might not need Tommy John surgery. And it's a, it's a serious surgery. It could, in theory, end his career. 
uh, it, it will at best require a year and a half of intense hardcore rehab. You know, I don't really blame a player or, or the team for not wanting to go through that unless they ultimately have to. It sucks to lose him for a year. Um, but, you know, look, he's not on the 40-man roster, so it's not like you're losing option years. He's going to be an older prospect, but he's still going to be a highly talent, a talented prospect, a talented a prospect with a lot of upside. And, um, you know, they'll just have to kind of begin the process of building up his innings a, a year late. I mean, I, I, I don't think this is I, – I think Capriano is, is still a great prospect, and I think kind of like Alex Reyes this year, you know, he's a guy that, you know, the Yankees can kind of bank on being being good, just not for a couple of years. Yeah, and I think we need to we need to talk a little bit more realistically, realistically, excuse me, about Tommy John surgery as a whole because, like you said, there is it's a small chance that it's going to end his career, probably very very small. But Tommy John surgery isn't this magical cure all or instant cure all that a lot of people say when they say you know he should have had Tommy John surgery. I mean, he looked good. I don't know if it was last night or the night before. Zach Wheeler did. But Zach Wheeler also missed two complete seasons following Tommy John surgery and complications from Tommy John surgery and follow-up surgeries. And, you know, he's pitching now. He he seems to be healthy, but that happens a lot. Look at Steven Metz and the Mets organization who had it and is still feeling effects from sh- uh, elbow problems and shoulder problems that they say are related to rehab and changing his throwing motion and everything. There's... I mean, that could just be the curse of the Mets, considering all the injuries they have, but it's not a 100% success rate. It's probably an 85% success rate or so, which is, you know, that's damn good odds. That's something you'd bet money on, but it's still enough of a margin for error that if you can avoid it, you want to. So, yeah, so we'll see Capriali in, in, in a couple of years. He's <clears throat> This was going to be his age 23 season. And so he's probably now looking at a 25 or 26-year-old major league debut, um, which is still young and plenty in his prime. And I don't think we should, I think I don't think we should um, write him off. Like uh, I think some some players kind of kind of get written off. Um, I think this the best this is the best like principle this displays is that you want pitching prospects in volume because Capriolan was when he was drafted was considered a pretty safe pitching prospect, and now he's going to be undergoing. Uh, you know Tommy John surgery, and the Yankees have have hitting prospects in volume at this point, but they don't really have a ton of high end uh, high end pitching prospect. They have the prospects. They have a, they have a lot of good p- pitching prospects: Dietrich Enns, Chance Adams, Justice Sheffield, uh, Jordan Montgomery, etc. Um, but you know, I, I think this is the case for for stockpiling as many as you possibly can. Definitely, and I mean, like you said, they don't have. There was there was some debate whether or not James Caprielian was like a top tier pitching prospect, but he ranked as high as I think twenty eight on a top hundred. I think Keith Law had him as twenty eighth on his yeah, top hundred. Um, but after him, it's Justice Sheffield, who some people are very high on, others are question it question. And after them, it's just a whole lot of like you said, either safe guys like somebody like Jordan Montgomery, Dietrich Enns, or guys with big ceilings, but kind of a high beta, like a high risk, like Albert Abreu. And then there's guys like Chance Adams who no two people agree on. So Yeah, somewhere in between there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you have you don't have anybody who's really safe anymore at this point. Not that pitchers are, you know, tin step and all that, but Well, I think that's kind of the, the right point, that that pitching prospects are never safe. 
right? Capriellen was a quote safe pitching prospect, at least for a first rounder. Um, and so, you know, the, the, you know, the, this is just something that happens. And I, I think there's, I, I feel like there's a little bit of recrimination going on among Yankee fans. They're, they're, they kind of, they want to blame this on somebody. And I don't think there's, you can't blame it on people. This is bad luck. That's yeah, it. definitely. So I want to move on. Uh, it's been a, been a fun week, as we kind of mentioned. Uh, I think kind of the star of this week has been Aaron Judge. Uh, Aaron Judge, the judge, the monster, whatever, the, 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 the gentle giant, whatever we want to call Aaron Judge, <laughs> uh, has uh, been hitting the crap out of the ball. Uh, he's currently averaging just under 95 miles per hour uh, in average exit velocity. That would put him number six on the Major League leaderboard if he had enough events to qualify. I don't know why Aaron Judge has so many fewer events than some of these guys, uh, but this is a, a leaderboard currently on MLB.com that, that uh, zeroes out at 25 events and, and Judge is at about 20. Uh, ahead of him, ahead of Aaron Judge, Nick Castellanos, Chris Davis, Francisco Lindor, David Peralta, Ioannis Cespedes, Mikel Franco. Uh, Dominic, uh, how, on a scale of 1 to 10, how optimistic are you that Aaron Judge is uh, breaking out in the major leagues? How are, we, how are we defining breaking out? Can a breakout be defined as... Rookie of the year. Rookie of the year? Um, I'll, I'm going to give it... I'm gonna give it like a six or seven. Okay. Like he he's obviously not gonna have a two oh seven WRC plus at the end of the season, but you know, where he is right now, he's done so well that if for the rest of the year he hits I don't know, two thirty, three hundred, four twenty or something like that, or four fifty, which is what's about what Steamer had him at actually, he's gonna have damn good numbers. He'll probably have twenty five to thirty home runs and you know, a WRC plus probably in like the 115 range, and that's a damn good season for a guy that had tons of question marks. It would be a step back from where he is now, you know, factoring in some growing pains, people readjusting to him, but he seems to be getting better and better with each game, and that's that's what gives me hope, because when we talked about him on Monday, we pointed out, you know, oh, his walk rate's a little lower than it was last year at 8%, he's striking out 25% of the time, which is okay and then in the you know small 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 sample size couple of games since then his walk rate's over 10 percent now and his strikeout rate is down to 20.7 percent which is actually better than major league average so everything's trending in the right direction and that's what you want to see with a rookie especially one with you know the sort of flaws that he has and right now, like this early in the season, I don't. I'm not really looking at his batting line so much because with only 26 at bats and what 32 plate appearances, that batting line isn't doesn't tell us very much. It's not. It's not a, a number that's converged uh, statistically at this point. However, there are there are some numbers that converge quicker than batting lines. They're less dependent on luck and more dependent on inputs. Striker strikeout rate is one of them. Still not at the point where we can say that's going to be his strikeout rate all season. Uh, but you know we, but it, but it's getting closer to that point. And exit velocity is also that one. And if you tell me that that Aaron Judge is going to have a twenty percent strikeout rate, which is what he's at, he hasn't struck out since we last talk, talked on Monday, and that he's going to be top ten in the league in exit, exit velocity, I'm telling you, he's an all star. Um, he's one of the better players in the game. And and this is talk. And I, I was an Aaron Judge skeptic coming into the season. And again, I, I still am, am, am holding on to some of that skepticism. He's not going to slug six eight six ninety two. Uh, all season, um, but you know, it, it doesn't take that much more uh, for for this to happen. And Aaron Hicks just hit a home run. Okay, yes, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, Aaron Hicks also having a good season, though we're not going to talk about him. Um, but uh, yeah, but uh, 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 so so I think that that Aaron Judge, I think that these signs are more encouraging than I think people give it credit for. I think there's this kind of this 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 instinct not to jump on something too early. Um, when some of these numbers you can jump on early, the peripheral numbers you can jump on earlier than the actual batting line numbers. Uh, but I've got another question for you. Well, can I Why? just add one more thing to the judge judge piece question? Sure, sure. With, um, I mean, he his numbers last year were bad. Don't get me wrong, but the exit velocity is something you can lean on even more heavily because he had an ex- average exit velocity of ninety six point eight miles per hour last year which is was absurdly high. If you actually go to MLB.com's leaderboard for last year, it looks like their events are still set up at 25 balls in play baseline, and he's highest in the majors. Super-duper small sample size again, but, you know, you see guys like Gary Sanchez, who qualified there last year with 125 balls in play, all the way down to somebody like... <laughs> Madison Bumgarner, who was in the top 30 last year. <laughs> but, you know, this puts every, pretty much everybody who had, I don't know, 50 at-bats is on this list. And he hit the ball harder than any of them last year. And so here's a question for you. This year. Uh, uh, the Yankees right now currently playing with this lineup. Jacoby Osbury batting first. Uh, uh, Aaron Hicks batting second. Matt Holliday batting third. Starlin Castro batting cleanup. Chase Headley, I think you know where I'm going with this. Chase Headley batting third. Greg Bird batting first. Aaron Judge batting seventh. Sorry, Greg Bird playing first, batting sixth. Greg, uh, Aaron Judge batting seventh and playing right field. Uh, should Aaron Judge be batting cleanup? I, I mean, if you're doing a one-to-one comparison, I'd certainly have him hitting above Starling Castro right now. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I don't mind moving him up in the order slowly. Maybe you want to give him the time to adjust and just focus on hitting. Maybe not have him behind, you know, Ellsbury and Gardner before he got hurt and Holiday. They're all getting on base really well. Maybe you want to keep him down in the lineup for a little while longer to make sure that he's just focused on hitting and not worrying about guys being on base and all that. Because, you know, we, we like to talk about baseball like it's perfectly scientific and rational, but we know it's not. If, if we can help judge his psychology a little bit by not putting him in those higher pressure situations. You know, maybe that maybe that's what's helping. The lack of responsibility hitting so low in the order. But I think you got to start moving him up eventually. And it's kind of weird to me that Greg Bird has dropped in the order already and Judge hasn't moved up. That's the kind of thing that sticks out. You'd think you'd be quicker, quicker to reward players than you would be to punish them, so to speak. Well, let's go there. Uh... What's wrong? Are you worried? About, okay, scale of zero to ten, how worried are you about Greg Bird? Um, I'd say maybe maybe something like a three. I'm a little worried that his foot wasn't completely healed and that was causing problems, and I'm still kind of concerned that he is a platoon player because he didn't really hit lefties all that great in the minors. Um, but other than that, like I. I'm st- I'm still very confident in him being a solid big league first baseman, even if he's limited against lefties. Yeah, any, I think any that injury concerns or things that were existing before the season started. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the, the slow start. I think the injury can can it has to be involved, right? I mean, we have we have only right now 18 Greg Bird plate appearances with the season being live. We have many more than that in spring training, um, and so. I right now I you know we shouldn't 
we shouldn't overcount spring training, but we also shouldn't pretend it didn't exist. And so, you know, if you're asking me, does Greg Bird have the ability ability to be a, a an all star caliber first baseman? I say he's he's demonstrated this season. He's demonstrated the last time he had real major league time. 18 at bats, especially when there's a kind of a looming injury, don't scare me. But you know, the 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 sign I'm looking for is kind of the reverse of what I was talking about with with, with Aaron Judge, where Greg Bird's been striking out a lot. He's got a 38 percent strikeout rate so far in the season. Um, if he was, if he were healthy, and there were no, there was no like good excuse out there, I would start to get worried about that. But he's not very healthy, and he's also actually in a, about half the sample size than Aaron Judge is. So I'm my panical meter. I think I'm like a two right now on the panical meter. But um, next week, I think I might, if he's still not, you know, batting, you know, south of a hundred, um, I might ask this question. I might raise that a little bit. I think that's fair. Okay. Um, so uh, overall, you know, I think it's been it's been a good week. Um, can you give me give me one? What player have you been besides Aaron Judge most pleasantly surprised at their performance so far? Chase Headley. Continue. Give me some more about uh, how I mean, how are you surprised? Well, he has he didn't hit his first extra base hit until May twelfth of last year, um, and I'm pretty sure he has something like four already. I mean, he just, he looks like a competent hitter. And last year, from after May 12th, he was a competent hitter. He is obviously not a guy who's going to hit, I don't have it in front of me, but at one point he was hitting something like 400, 500, 600. He's obviously not that, but he's walking more than he did last year and the year before. He's making a little bit more contact. He's been hitting the ball harder. And... Like I said, last year when he was bad, his badness was almost exclusively limited to April. His first full year with the Yankees back in 2015, he was pretty good before August rolled around. If this is just him, I don't know, being productive for a full season, it'd be it'd be pretty cool, especially because if you like I said, if you look at his horrific slump months where he literally had WRC pluses in the teens, He's been, you know, like a 110 WRC plus guy. I know you can't really play the selective endpoint game, but... Well, he I'm has just... a history of, of essentially having, like, big, long slumps at parts of the season. And yes. then he also has a history of putting it together and being an all-star. I mean, he, he literally was, I think, an MVP candidate one year. Uh, and and, and he, he's, he doesn't... There's, there's reason to believe that he has the talent that, with a little bit of luck and a little bit of just you know, a nice, long, healthy season, he could, he could put together something that could be really valuable. Yeah, and I, like I said, all I really, it's just, it's a pleasant surprise, don't know how sustainable it is, he has a history of being very hot and very cold, but considering the shape of last year's production, it's nice to see him looking like a big league hitter out of the gate. All, all sounds pretty good. I am pleasantly surprised with Matt Holiday. Holiday's looking like a DH right now, right? I mean, he's he's been taking a ton of walks. He had that five walk game that somehow he didn't score a run in. Um, you know, he, he, on the season he's hitting three hundred eight, four eighty six, five hundred with nine walks and five strikeouts. He's exactly the player the Yankees need at that position. They need they need Matt Holiday to be a guy who never touches a glove, um, but is as, is a solid you know middle of the order hitter the entire year. Um, I, I think that if any scenario where the Yankees make the playoffs involves Matt Holiday being productive. Uh, so I, I have been pleasantly surprised with the Holiday. Do you have um, any disappointments ooh. that stand out aside well, from a, injuries? Oh, 
you know, I was having a good day, and now you're just bringing me down. Just going going right down there. Then we could just uh, default to Capriellian, which we opened with, and move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could say that. Um, Tanaka. I'm a little worried. Um, not not that it's not that it uh, he can't recover, um, but uh, again another guy who had that spring sample that was encouraging. Um, but you know I'm I'm still there's still that little thing in the back of my mind with Tanaka saying like, you know he could be injured and he could be just trying to hold it all together until until he can hit free agency again. We're not sure. So that's that's kind of mine. I don't know, I don't know if you ever have have another one. No, really, it's just. Early in the season, I totally fall prey to positive small sample sizes, and I'm very willing to overlook <laughs> negative ones. <laughs> but not really, it's just the injuries that got me down. Everything else I look at is just, you know, noise. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a big, fat hypocrite, what can I say? Me too, absolutely. Uh, so moving on, uh, moving away from the Yankees news, because the Yankees, we, we've just talked about the Yankees as recently as three days ago. We had like seven news items three days ago. Um, so we're not going to rehash anything we've already talked about. Uh, instead, we're going to talk about the new show on IFC called Brockmire. Uh, Dominic, I made you watch Brockmire right before we started this podcast. So I, got, I want your fresh impression. We haven't talked about it yet. So uh, first off, uh, can you describe the, the, the show Brockmire to our listeners? Sure. The The basic plot of the show is that uh, Hank Azaria, who I'm guessing most people know as the voice of about a dozen Simpsons characters, uh, most is like the bartender, Apu, the Quickie Mart owner, Chief Wiggum, comic, comic book guy, Carl. Uh, he's also been in a bunch of movies, and he's a good actor, but I think everybody knows him as a, knows him as a Simpsons guy, right? Also, also a great uh, stage actor. Yes. Uh, but he... He is a disgraced baseball play-by-play announcer. He was, I believe it was uh, Kansas City's play-by-play guy it's supposed to be. Um, And he has a pretty severe on-air meltdown. I won't get into the details. And uh, back in 2007... It's not. (laughs) And uh, that was back in 2007. And the series opens basically with him in 2017 trying to find some... Some manner of redemption. So he is a um, he he has been uh, calling uh, various sporting events uh, abroad, including uh, cockfights in Thailand, and uh, has now uh, be brought, uh, been brought on to be the PA announcer for a uh, or the the play by play guy slash PA announcer for a minor league baseball team. I believe it's the, the owner- Morristown Frackers. <laughs> uh, the owner of that team uh, is played by Amanda Pete. Um, and uh, the, the the heart of the show, the two of them are kind of the heart of the show. But there's also a baseball team, and and uh, the the show has been described to me by by someone, or I think I heard a critic describe it as um, if you were watching Major League and Major League was still going on, but the the show was about the the play by play guy. Um, and I and I just I I'm just eating this show up. I don't know about you. Yeah, I only watched the one episode so far, but I, I finished watching it about 15 minutes before we started recording. And, I mean, it was really funny. It's really dark. It was darker than I expected, but it has a good sense of humor to it. And uh, one of the first things Hank Azaria does in the show, uh, his character's name is Brockmire, Jim Brockmire, is he references a story that Vince Scully told him. And, I mean, that's totally who <laughs> he's riffing on a little bit. And But it's done in it's done in such a good way. Like, he just, he really, you can really see that he put in work or he just has that much knowledge of 
what good play-by-play announcing is, and it's just, it's so smart, and it's so funny, and you can just, you can just see that there's a lot of love for baseball in it. Right down to Amanda Pete talking a lot about uh, seeing Willie Stargell's last game. Yeah, I mean, so... His area is, this was was the creative mind behind this. He wasn't just brought on to do this. This started as a funny or die skit um, with Azaria kind of doing a play-by-play voice. And he's a big, big, I believe, Mets fan. Um, and, and the show respects the hell out of baseball, even as, you know, Brock Myers talking about the horrible things that his wife did uh, to other men that he caught him with, uh, caught her with. Um, on the radio, right? I mean, th- this is it's, this is a dirty show. This is not a show to watch with your parents, um, unless you have that kind of relationship. I don't. Um, uh, <laughs> but it, it is it is so much fun to hear that 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 like classic Vin Scully, Red Barber, like baseball baseball announcer voice just say the worst things in the world um, that I cannot put on this. Uh, we cannot say in this podcast because I'd have to put that explicit tag on if I did. Um, so it's yeah, kind of funny that they bleep the lone F-bomb in the, in the show. I don't know why <laughs> I found that to be really funny, considering yeah. what they said before that. Yeah, I know, right? And, he, and he's saying, like, shit the whole time. But he, but he apparently, the, the F-bomb apparently is something that we can't say on IFC. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but there, there's also, there's baseball in the background. There's, it, there's, in the middle of kind of the absurd story of it all, there's a, there's, there's a, you feel for Brockmire, right? Like, it, it, this is... This is not just a one joke kind of kind of thing. I think there's actually some real kind of interesting drama uh, going on that's fun. But I mean, at its heart, this is a fun show about a about a, a, a disgraced Vin Scully type drinking a lot of whiskey, calling minor league baseball. Yeah, and I mean, I I'm excited to watch. Probably going to watch the next two episodes after the Yankees game tonight, just so I could be caught up. Um, yeah, I mean, Azaria is really talented, and it really is kind of a love letter to baseball sprinkled in with dark and absurd humor. Here's a question for you. So what, what, after only seeing one episode, would you prefer this show or pitch? Probably this show just because I loved pitch, but it got a little too heavy with the melodrama for me. Not enough that I'm dissuaded from watching it. If there is a season two, I'll definitely watch it. But that show definitely fell prey to the we have to fill 42 minutes a week and it can't just be all about baseball so how do we keep everybody who's not a baseball fan interested sort of trapped so that's the key right this show is not afraid to be for baseball fans because it's on IFC and like 40 people are going to watch it anyway and so like you know they, they, they don't have to go and attract 10 million people a week in order to make any money um, it's also a show that, that like doesn't have the cooperation of Major League Baseball that Pitch has which, I mean, allows them to do what they're doing. Baseball would never consent to their logo being associated with with, with Jim Brockmeyer, um, as much as it is, I think, a love letter to baseball. Um, but, um, you know, in that kind of that opening scene where he's calling for the Kansas City the Royals, uh, it just says Kansas City, and it's very clearly not the Royals logo. Uh, so that's just kind of something to kind of kind of to have on there. But I'm totally with you. I this show, I I, I think it's I think it's better made than than pitch. Pitch is fun. And baseball-y, and the premise is awesome, and I love the cast. But, I mean, this this show feels like it's made by people with, with a lot of, like, talent in a way that a lot of these cable shows are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a passion project, you know? And it's a passion project made by people who are talented writers and actors and everything. And when you have a cast that's literally two people, 
or I guess two and a half if you want to include uh, the intern whose name is slipping my mind. It's it's pretty easy to do great things. It it kind of reminds me of a, I don't know, like a a Wes Anderson movie that focuses on three or four characters in conversation. That's largely what the type of show is, what this type of show is rather. And it's um, a lot so- easier to to hit the ha- hit the nail on the head when you really only have to depend on two or three actors to go out there and do their thing. So, so the Yankees will be playing the Cardinals this up, upcoming weekend. Uh, it's going to be the Cardinals uh, in Yankee Stadium against the Cardinals. We got Tanaka taking on Michael Waka, CC Sabathia taking on Carlos Martinez, and I have no idea who's playing on Sunday because the probables aren't up yet. Um, it's but, a Pineda uh, against Adam Wainwright. Oh, there we go. Uh, so, to me, I mean, I, this feels like a this could be a fun series. I, I love the Cardinals. I love watching. I love their uniforms. I love watching them play. Um, and you know the Yankees have have their basically three best pitchers going into this, so this should be uh, should be quite the series. A fun fact, just because I wrote a little bit about it, um, the last time they played was in 2014, Jeter's Renaissance <laughs> or Swan Song, whatever you want to call it, depending <laughs> on your point of view. Um, that series, the Yankees won two games to one. Alfredo Aceves picked up one of the wins, oh, wow. and uh, Brian Roberts was the starting second baseman. So. There's a nice little time capsule for you. I miss Alfredo Seves. That he was a he was a fun. The Mexican fan gangster. Mexican gangster. Uh, all right. On that note, uh, we're going to end tonight. Dominic, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. We are again sponsored by SeatSwapTickets.com. You can go to SeatSwapTickets.com/slash/members and use the promo code SWAP to have all of your fees waived as part of our uh, as an offer to our listeners. Everybody, this has been the It's About the Money podcast.